I, I'm going to run over the Snowden story uh, because I mean, some of you may not be familiar with it. I mean, I've been living with it for 18 months and <laughs> um, uh, I know all the ins and outs of it, but occasionally you come, no, quite often you come across people and they don't know who Snowden is. You know, they could be a contestant and certainly come dancing for, <laughs> uh, especially in Britain. You know, <laughs> um, if you go to other countries, then it, I mean, Snowden is well known. It's well known in America, well known in Germany. But apart from The Guardian, Snowden hasn't received the same coverage in this country. So, uh, although I joke that uh, some people might think it's contestant strictly come dancing, it's not that far fetched. Um, the when I did, I went to Hong Kong uh, eighteen months ago. It was in May, May last year, and. Uh, I saw Snowden there. I went with uh, Glenn Greenwald, uh, who's a American blogger, lives in Brazil, and Laura Poitras, another American who lives in Berlin. He's a documentary filmmaker. And uh, when we were in Hong Kong, I, I, I just thought this was just another story. And I assumed that I'd write the piece, uh, go back to New York, and got on with other things. Um, and I said to Glenn Greenwald the first night before the publication of the first story that um, I wasn't sure how big this would be, that the Guardian might not even splash on it. It was too technical. <laughs> it was uh, too technical. And uh, Glenn wasn't that sure either. Um, <coughs> Edward Snowden thought it was a big story. Uh, but any source thinks that their story is you know, important and, you know, there's going to have major implications. Um, and uh, Laura Poitras thought it was a, quite a big story. Uh, but after the publication of the first piece, uh, within the hours, it was all over Twitter and uh, all the other Amer American publications, CNN, they picked it up and we realised that this was more important than we'd sort of thought. And then it just gathered. But even then, you know, when I left Hong Kong after two weeks, I thought, well, that's fine, I'll get back to other things. And I went back to New York and it still <coughs> kept going. I came back to London last, just before Christmas, and I thought, well, that's a nice way to make the break. I'll start writing about other things now. And here I am, 18 months later, it's still dominates my life and uh, you sound resentful <laughs> I'm not, it just seems peculiar to me um, it, it gets more and more ridiculous uh, there's been documentaries made about this uh, there's been books written about it uh, Laura Patrice's documentary if you haven't seen it, Citizen 4 uh, is out in America and in some cinemas around the UK um, Oliver Stone's doing a movie, he starts shooting in January the people who made the James Bond movie, Broccoli, have got a script and they're saying they're going to produce a movie next year as well. I can't believe that if Stone does a movie, it's hard for me to believe that uh, Broccoli's going to do it as well. But it, so it, it just reached these ridiculous proportions. But there is a serious side to it as well. I mean, it's nice for, it's nice for The Guardian. I was at an award ceremony last night, the British Journalism Awards, and we got an award for 
uh, NSA Decoded, which was an interactive um, Bob and Stone. So it's nice for me, it's nice for The Guardian, films, documentaries, awards, but there are serious consequences. And um, the serious consequence, the intelligence agencies say this is the biggest leak in the Western intelligence history and it's done them enormous damage in the fight against paedophiles, criminal gangs, uh, terrorists, especially uh, current concerns over Islamist uh, terrorists and Islamic State. And uh, they're still angry with us. You know, 18 months on, uh, especially the British intelligence services are really mad. And there's consequences for the internet providers, uh, Google, Microsoft, all, all those, there's been a sort of consumer backlash and they're all now moving to make encryption just part of their normal service. There's been consequences for The Guardian and freedom of the press. Uh, I think the government's been pretty ha heavy-handed in the way they've dealt with us and, and it's raised all sorts of issues about protections and the constitutional rights or, um, for journalists, of which there are very few in this country. But above all else, there's consequences for Edward Snowden. Um, he's paid the highest price for this. He had a good job in Hawaii, he was well paid, um, uh, good accommodation, his girlfriend was living with him, he did a job that he enjoyed. He's a patriot. He believed in what he was doing. Uh, and now he's wanted uh, by the US on three charges under the Espionage Act, which carry, um, if he was uh, to be convicted, he'd go to jail for 30 years. But what most people don't understand is these are just the initial charges. Um, as far as America's concerned, what he did is much more serious than Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning's in jail for, I think, 34 years. Nothing Chelsea Manning released uh, had a higher category than top secret. Almost everything Snowden released is a higher category uh, than top secret. Uh, so as far as the Americans are concerned, much more serious. So if he was eventually to find himself back in America, he wouldn't be looking at three charges. He'd be looking at 10, 15, 20, 30 charges. Uh, and he'd probably be looking at life in prison. Uh, so he's stuck in Russia. I'd like to think that somebody in Western Europe would give him sanctuary or a safe haven, um, maybe Sweden, uh, but it doesn't seem likely. So I would think he's probably going to spend the rest of his days in Russia. And all above, hanging above him all the time is a possibility that uh, the Russians might swap him for an American being held in uh, the US. There's a, a big Russian arms dealer, uh, Victor Boot, who the, I'm pretty sure the Russians would like to get back and maybe five years down the line if the Russians think Snowden's use as a propaganda tool is diminished, then they might do that swap. Um, I, I, the three of us went to see Snowden in Hong Kong and uh, when we went there we assumed it was a hoax. Somebody said they were, they were a spy, they were going to give us all these documents and I thought, well I'll go to Hong Kong, quite nice, a couple of days there, a bit of sightseeing. <laughs> uh, 
uh, deal with this crazy guy <laughs> and then uh, go back to New York. And the last thing I expected, I thought you know, there might be someone there that's got a little bit of information. You know, it might be some disillusioned person who's retired and some beef about something. Uh, but I never expected to find a real life uh, intelligence analyst, technologist from the NSA. And he gave me 60,000 documents. Um, and so, some of this room I've heard me say before, 60,000 documents isn't 60,000 pages. Uh, some of these documents run to 1,000 pages. Um, I don't know how many he gave to Laura and Len in total, um, but it's an awful lot more than that. And Glenn and Laura gave some of the documents they had to The Guardian as well. So I think we'd probably get about 70,000 in total. And we published only a minute amount of those documents, probably certainly less than 1%. Um, the, and what did he reveal? He revealed that uh, there was bulk data collection on a scale that no one in America or elsewhere around the world even envisaged uh, was happening. And uh, senior intelligence people in America, even a few months before the Snowden revelations, had been lying to Congress uh, about this. James Clapper, the director of national intelligence, uh, told a Senate hearing. Uh, he was asked specifically by a senator, is there bulk collection of uh, data on American citizens and he denied it uh, outright. He was asked the question a second time and he again uh, denied it outright. I mean, that, that should be a, a crime. A line to the Senate by itself uh, should be sufficient for Clapper to have resigned. Uh, but he survived it. I mean, I'm astonished that he's still there. Um, <coughs> Uh, Snowden also revealed the extent to which uh, the telecom companies um, hand over uh, uh, data to the intelligence agencies. Again, it's the scale of it. I mean, people knew that it happened. People who were interested in this uh, knew that it happened. They didn't realise the scale. Uh, we certainly didn't realise the extent to which internet companies like Google and Skype and Facebook and all the others uh, uh, handed over material um, to the intelligence agencies as well. And then lots of other programs, the extent of, to which the British intelligence, uh, GCHQ, is not a small partner in this. Uh, in, they've been at, in the forefront of some of the biggest programs, partly invest, with the US investing heavily in some of the GCHQ programs, like Tempora, uh, uh, gives them the ability to intercept all the internet traffic going out of Britain and around Europe. It's, it, the scale of it is just extraordinary. Uh, and that's an advantage to the Americans because they can access it as well. Um, so as a result of this, in Britain it's never taken off as a big story. Uh, partly because it was a, the Guardian did it um, maybe the rest of Fleet Street don't like The Guardian, uh, they think we're arrogant and smug and they don't like us because of phone hacking. Uh, maybe it's because people in Britain feel safe with the 
the idea of state security. Uh, they're glad the intelligence services are there. They help fight the IRA. They're now involved in the fight with Islamist uh, terrorism. Um, British culture, we think of James Bond. Uh, so it's a cuddly view of um, spies. Um, but the, the, even, I think the biggest problem was the BBC didn't take it up as a story. Um, and the, the reporting of it was really thin at the start and they, they never really covered it much since. The BBC got upset whenever myself or anyone else <coughs> from The Guardian says this, uh, but it's a fact. And uh, the, some people say, well, the BBC couldn't report it because they didn't have the documents. They were relying on The Guardian's version of it. But we offered to give them access to the documents so they could do their own reporting, uh, but they didn't take, it, take us up on it. Um, I love the BBC, I'm glad it's there, uh, but I've been disappointed in their behaviour over this. Uh, they're a bit too close to the establishment. Um, so the intelligence services say that the amount, the British intelligence say that the damage that we've done through the Snowden revelations has caused them up to 30% of their capability um, and that, that the Guardian is naive, we don't realise the damage we've done, <coughs> um, that we've told terrorists, um, some terrorists would have known that people listening on mobile phones and that they can see emails, um, but they said there's lots of others weren't, wouldn't have been aware of the <laughs> exactly what uh, you know, a lot of these techniques that were revealed by Snowden. And they blame us for just about everything now, including the beheadings in Syria, and uh, which is you know, one of the most extreme uh, accusations that's made against us, saying that if it hadn't been for Snowden, maybe they would have been able to locate uh, where the hostages were held. Um, and the biggest beef just now uh, and it was raised in a column in the Financial Times recently by the head of GCHQ, the new head of GCHQ, um, who said that uh, the internet companies, you know, Google and Gmail, uh, you know, Microsoft, uh, all the other internet providers are now introducing encryption. And because of that, it's harder for the intelligence services to uh, get access to people's uh, emails, and this is making their job much more difficult. Um, I, mean, I need to say at this point, I'm not anti-intelligence. I, I understand, I'm glad. We need intelligence services. Uh, we need them to combat uh, terrorism. And having read, I, I've read all 60,000 of the documents that The Guardian has, um, and reading through them, what comes out is not that this is some sort of evil, dark empire. Uh, what's, it's quite impressive, the, the, the work they do. And I, a lot of times I look at it and I'm stunned and I'm <coughs> glad that they're doing the things they do. And the problem I have is that they've gone too far. In the last 20 years, the advent of the internet has uh, given them and that's access to riches that they never even began to 
imagine would have been possible for them. And I don't blame them for taking advantage of that. If I was in GCHQ or NSA, I would take advantage of it. The problem, the, the Guardian argument is that there should be a debate about this. We didn't have a debate about the freedom of the internet and who should have access to it. And the, the Guardian line is that, okay, uh, you can access these things, but there should at least be a debate about the balance or where the line is drawn between security and privacy. And that if you have this huge extension of the powers of the intelligence services, and this debate's going on in America, legislation going through Congress just now, although it's not getting very far, um, about where the line should be drawn. And it's just the sort of feeling is that um, you can have bulk data collection um, but there needs to be proper po political oversight and there needs to be new legislation to take account of this and that isn't happening. The political oversight in Britain is pathetic. It's absolutely hopeless. We have um, an intelligence committee that's uh, a parliamentary intelligence committee um, that's appointed by the Prime Minister um, and their performance to date has been pretty poor. I like the chairman, Sir Malcolm Rifkind, uh, but if you look, they produced a report two weeks ago on the killing of a British soldier, uh, Lee Rigby, and it runs through all the mistakes that MI5 made, because they knew about Lee Rigby. Um, but the, uh, sorry, they knew about the killers of uh, uh, Lee Rigby, they've been following, they've been under surveillance for years. Now I don't blame MI6 for not spotting this, they're trying to keep tabs on thousands of people uh, and it's hard for them to identify who's a serious threat and who's not. But it runs through the various mistakes that MI5 made. But Rifkin doesn't blame <coughs> MI5, he blames Facebook. Because it was after uh, Lee Rigby was killed, they looked, uh, they went back through the records and they realised that uh, been a, one of the killers had said on Facebook that he was going to kill a soldier. Uh, so the, the main thrust of uh, Rifkin's report is not to say, well, we understand MI5's difficulties, um, <coughs> but we're not blaming them, but we'll blame Facebook uh, it's their responsibility to monitor, monitor all these exchanges and uh, chats and messages put up on Facebook. Um, so there's no there's two intelligence commissioners uh, in Britain, and uh, again they're retired judges, and uh, there's no they go down to GCHQ, but there's no proper uh, investigation, no proper scrutiny, right? I'm going to, <coughs> I'll mention a few things about um, uh, journalism uh, very quickly. I'm not going to go into them. But there's lots of lessons for uh, journalists. Uh, I think the editor of The Guardian, Alan Rusbridger, and myself and others uh, are going to be talking in the sort of months ahead. And I know there's various courses uh, and academics looking <coughs> at this as well. Uh, and it's usually summed up as journalism post-Snowden, uh, the lessons uh, that we've learned so far. And, and there are many, 
Um, I mean, Snowden, has anyone seen Citizen Four? Um, there's a really telling episode in that where stored in the, in the hotel room in Hong Kong um, is speaking to Glenn Greenwald and Glenn Greenwald has some of the secret documents on a little laptop and that laptop has never been on the internet he used it as a it was just to store documents it was only to be used for the documents it was never to have access to the internet and Snowden says to Glenn um, can I see your uh, laptop and Glenn hands it over and uh, <coughs> Snowden says to him, you realise the card with all the documents is it's in this and it's pretty obvious that Glenn hadn't so that was so Snowden was in good nature and let that pass and he says to Glenn will you type in your password and Glenn goes you know four to six characters uh, and Snowden says, is that it? <laughs> and Glenn, refusing to back off, says, I type fast. <laughs> you know, Snowden, for Snowden, just to get entry level into a laptop is 64 characters. <laughs> um, and that only gets you to that level. Then you'll have keys and counter keys. Uh, and, you know, you've got through about three levels before you access anything that Snowden's doing. So Glenn's pathetic. Give Glenn the benefit of the doubt and say maybe it was eight characters. <laughs> so the lesson for John, almost everybody in the Guardian is using encrypted uh, Gmail now. We don't even think that's particularly secure. But you've got to try and make it harder for, harder for them. Um, protection of sources, that's why we have to do this. Uh, nowadays, because of Snowden, we realise that if somebody comes to the Guardian and has given me a story, um, supposing somebody wants to leak something about the Ministry of Defence, um, they can find that source within minutes. Um, I've got an iPhone, and again, this was a lesson from Snowden. He, he made me take, when I went to the room in Hong Kong, he made me take this iPhone, I had to take it away, and put it in Laura Petraeus' room, uh, another, another room. Uh, not only to put it in her room, but to put it in the fridge. <laughs> and not even in the fridge, it had to go into the freezer compartment. That's what, that was a, even with it switched off and the battery removed. Snowden says, this is a microphone. They can listen to everything that's been said in this room. They can follow me everywhere I go. And by triangulation, by picking up somebody else in this room or two people, they can work out who I've been speaking to. Uh, so if a source comes to me and says, look, I'd like to leak some documents from the Ministry of Defence, they can just access my iPhone, see what, the location button in this tells you everywhere I've been in detail uh, for the last year. And all you have to do is triangulate against other people and you can, you'll find the source in no time at all. Use other things, credit cards, uh, who's used that, CCTV, whole uh, armory of uh, that allows them to track and uh, discover. So in the old days, where a source would come to you, you promise them protect will protect your anonymity. These are gone. We need the new ways of dealing it, and encryption is just the start. Snowden, um, <coughs> myself and the editor of the Guardian, Alan Rusbridge, went to see Snowden in Moscow a few months ago, 
And he's not sitting in Moscow, sort of dreaming of apple pie and wishing he was back in America. He's working in a program uh, to try and help journalists uh, secure the anonymity of those sources. He's trying to build uh, uh, new tools. And all of us need to start thinking about how, why should any source uh, now come to the Guardian with a leaked document when they know that they're going to, their anonymity can't be protected? That's one of the fundamentals of journalists. You need whistleblowers, you need sources uh, to talk about uh, wrongdoing. Need for with the Guardian, I'll talk about it later if you want. Uh, the government here cracked down hard on us. They destroyed the, we had to destroy computers and were threatened with legal action. There's still criminal investigation underway. Um, the uh, I mean, there's a whole host of sort of lessons and things for journalists. But I said to stop after 20 minutes or 25 minutes. Uh, you can go on for a bit longer if you think. Uh, no, it's okay. No. I'll come quite after. Okay. Well, thank you very, very much, uh, Jordan. That, that, that's great.